How naive were you during pre-COVID? Like our author today, I think most of us were very naive in the year 2020. Let's hear what lies our government told us over the last three years and might still keep trying to tell us on this Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to this Liberty Minute. This is our third book we've covered this week and what we are calling the COVID Trilogy. The three most important books we have discovered so far, not that there's more, or or we can't discover more, rather. I'm sure there are. But these are the three most important books we have come across, we have read, that gives us a sense of what the hell just happened to our country in terms of COVID over the last three years. We think it's an important series of books because it helps us to gain perspective from three different authors, from three different experiences to help us get closer to discovering the real truth. And because we certainly didn't expect this, but very weirdly and uh, very coincidentally, places around our country are now masking up again. And I'm hearing rumblings and reading news reports that some places are locking down again. No way. Just cannot happen. And we'll hear why. So with that quick introduction, let's go to our opening pull quote from our book of the day. Over the years before COVID, Jill and I had developed a modest network of friends and professional colleagues scattered across the globe. This network was built from our consulting practice from when I was working on U.S. government-funded biodefense and influenza vaccine contracts, as well as my prior days as an academic teaching pathology and molecular biology to medical students while doing bench research, writing papers, filing patents, and getting involved in various biotechnology startup companies. And we had our horse friends, of course. LinkedIn, Facebook, and occasionally Twitter and email correspondence allowed us to stay in touch with all of our friends and colleagues. Social media censorship and shadow banning was something that happened to people who lived in China. I could not imagine that it could happen to me. Jill and I simultaneously lived in two very different worlds that rarely touched each other, one in cutting-edge biotechnology and infectious disease medical countermeasure research, and the other immersed in horses, hay, orchids, orchards rather, farm equipment, construction, and the local feed store. Somewhere between September and December of 2019, a novel coronavirus entered the human population and began spreading like wildfire across the globe, turning my world upside down. Maybe it also transformed your life too. If someone had written a letter describing my life today to the person I was before this outbreak, the old me would have concluded that the author specialized in improbable 
dystopic fiction and should probably be looking for another line of work. Looking back, I'm struck how sheltered and naive I was pre-COVID and how much my worldview and my role in it had been radically shifted from subsequent events. Will you take a memory walk with me for a moment? And those paragraphs come to us from Dr. Robert Malone and his excellent book, Lies My Government Told Me, and the Better Future That Is Coming. This book came out in November of 2022. It's 480 pages, so it's nice and thick, and it's a different type of book because there's many contributors to this book, and Malone collates their opinion pieces and then adds his own chapters to complete the book. And what is interesting is the same names that we have already covered continue to start coming up again. Dr. Peter Corey, who was featured in our last Mojo Minute with his book on the war on ivermectin. Dr. J. Bhattacharya. Dr. Merle Nass contributes a chapter telling of her own experience in the state of Maine, where the state medical board decertified her medical license for prescribing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin off-label, despite the fact that this is totally standard and a long-standing procedure. And interestingly enough, there is a chapter written by Matisse Desmet. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Matisse Desmet. And it's all about mass formation and the psychology of totalitarianism. And Mr. Desmet has written a book by the same title, and you know how we love new book recommendations that we stumble across here at the Mojo Academy. So we're going to certainly be adding that book to our list of books to review. Sounds quite interesting, especially after the last five years. Now, real quick, I want to give you a breakdown of this book. Again, like I said, it's 480 pages. It's broken down into three parts, and here are those parts. Part one is called The History and a Physical Exam. How did we get here? Number Part two is the diagnosis, the lies, and the damage done. And part three is the treatment plan, the synthesis, and the conclusions. So it's kind of like going to the doctor and walking through a doctor's appointment. At first, you have your, your, your history and a physical exam. Doctor wants to know what happened. How did you get in this position? Uh, what symptoms do you have? And then, uh, based on all that knowledge, all that knowledge, uh, he will synthesize uh, a diagnosis, and then from that diagnosis, he will formulate a treatment plan, the best way to help you to heal up. And I think it's a great way to organize the information. Uh, so let's get back to Dr. Malone and learn more about him and his wife, who ironically is also a doctor. Going back to the book. Until COVID, I thought that free speech was, was a protected fundamental right guaranteed to all citizens of the United States of America by the Bill of Rights. Having been assigned core texts like 1984, Brave New World, Animal Farm, Lord of the Flies, and the Trial and Death of Socrates in the fourth and fifth grade as a, quote, gifted and talented student in the California school system of the time, I believe there was no way anything like that, what was written in those books, could happen here in the United States. 
especially during the 21st century. Internet censorship and government-controlled propaganda were unfortunate things that happened to those people who lived in the People's Republic of China under totalitarian Communist Party control. But I had been born in a modern, Western, free society, and I had the luxury of watching this play out from afar. Social media was a tool that we used to chat with friends and sell horses on Facebook and write about specific scientific issues of the day and look for new biotech clients, especially on LinkedIn. Trained at one of the top clinical-focused medical schools in the United States, Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, I believe that physicians were deeply committed to upholding the Hippocratic Oath. That's the principle of non-malfeasance, or do no harm. And these physicians had the freedom and responsibility to diagnose and treat patients as individuals and were guided by a shared core of bioethical principles codified after the Second World War and incorporated into U.S. federal law as the common rule. At the center of this training was the practice of taking a detailed history and physical exam, beginning with the chief complaint, uncovering the real problem that brought the patient to the physician, and then patients had medical autonomy and informed consent for any medical procedures that was ethically critical. I knew that corporatized or a computer algorithm-driven medicine was placing ever, ever heavier burdens on the daily grind required to maintain a clinical practice. Now, that's an unfortunate reality that is practicing, that is practicing physicians and medical care providers had to endure if they elected to work under those systems. But for my colleagues, there was always the option to leave for private practice. One edgier new frontier for clinical practice was direct payment to physicians. And practicing in the new world of outpatient surgical centers and dock and box group practices somewhere between the local doctor's office of my youth in an emergency room setting, thereby bypassing established hospital networks with their huge cost, clunky bureaucracies, and massive burden of administrative oversight. Now, state medical boards were primarily in place to ensure that physicians and allied medical professionals met educational standards, they provided patients with a high standard of care, and they did not engage in overtly unethical practice or gross misconduct. Examples warranting medical board review and disciplinary or disciplinary actions included violations of the principles of non-malfeasance, benefits, patient autonomy, or justice, violations of which would occasionally rise to the level of medical malpractice, usually by physicians who had developed a substance addiction. Now, state medical boards were not generally involved in policing off-label prescribing practices of licensed drugs or terminating medical license under a medical care provider who is clearly mentally compromised and abusing the right to practice it, a medicine. I never heard of a medical board policing free speech by a physician, whether it involved politics or prescribing practices. One example of disallowed medical practices that would trigger disciplinary action involved prescribing powerful addictive opioids without a compelling medical indication. 
typically leading to both patient addiction and high physician revenue. But most medical boards seemed hesitant to even discipline that behavior. Other examples involved physician compromise due to personal drug addiction or inappropriate sexual contact with patients, resulting in an abuse of the patient-physician relationship. For those situations as well, the usual medical board intervention involved nothing more than a requirement for remedial training with a possible temporary suspension of medical privileges. The current practice of hunting physicians by filing complaints with medical boards to withdraw their license to practice medicine for trying to help their patients with new therapeutic strategies or for questioning the safety or effectiveness of current medical intervention was unheard of. So that's the backstory of how the medical community worked relatively in 2020. Now, interestingly enough, like I said, Dr. Malone's wife published a book about coronavirus in 20, in February of 2022, of all things, right before it really got going here in the United States, because she was trying to help out. Let's hear about that. Going back to the book. Jill and I had been at the forefront of so many of these outbreaks in the past, HIV, anthrax, spore events, influenza virus multiple times, West Nile, Ebola, Zika, etc. Our initial response to the alert call from Michael Callahan was a reflexive, here we go again, with a topper of time to get going. Michael Callahan gave them the tip off of what was happening in Wuhan, China. Now, having a proven ability to make a difference in both gift is a both gift and a curse. Chaos reigns early in potential infectious disease pandemics. As if God's hands were guided by the words of Shakespeare's Mark Anthony, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. The onset of war is a proper metaphor and the fog of war descends over everything. For those at the tip of the spear... It gives rise to an addictive, sustained adrenaline rush like no other, coupled with a constant risk of it going overboard if you lose perspective. So once again, Jill and I got to work. Jill is a very local, community-oriented person, and she poured out her heart, her mind, and her soul into writing a kind of survival mania for those at risk and self-published the book early on via Amazon. An avid reader, she had become a big fan of self-published books in her Kindle. I threw myself into getting the team assembled for the DTRA project spun up and providing direction by diving into the coronavirus literature and selecting a specific protein target to apply the repurposed drug discovery and computational docking tools to. I had helped Jill with her book by collecting and expanding some of the thoughts and comments that I had been posting on LinkedIn to create content about the virology and immunology assisted and assisted on the editing of the text. We worked like demons side by side day after day. She was able to self-publish during the first week of February 2020. Uh, the first week, I'm sorry. She was able to self-publish during the first week in February of 2020. Within a mere five weeks, she completed the first edition of, quote, here's the title, Novel Coronavirus, A Guide for Preparation and Protection. 
Now, after some discussion all about the scientific in the weeds type of stuff that I don't think most people would be interested in, but if you are, you can certainly check out the book. We hear what happened to Jill's book, because this is where things start to get interesting. Jill's book was published February 11th, 2020, with a plan to constantly update the editions as more data and information became available. We hope to create what is known as a, quote, living document that would just be updated as the pandemic evolved. There were no other books available at the time that had been written by medical and scientific professionals. Most people were still unaware of what they were, what they were about to be hit with as the virus made its way into Italy the rest of Europe, and then the United States. As more and more people became aware of the threat posed by this novel coronavirus, the book began to sell. Although sales were modest, charts from the Kindle Direct Publishing website showed steady increases in February and March. The Amazon reviews were all five stars, and Jill felt a strong sense of pride. It was her first book. Little did we know we were about to encounter the new reality of government corporate cooperative censorship, which would become a major theme throughout the entire history of the COVID-19 public health event. Jill's book was censored by Amazon. No explanation, no appeal. When we went to upload the most current edition in March, we received messages stating that the Kindle direct publishing was experiencing a temporary delay and publishing some titles. On the phone, we were told this is a normal delay due to the lack of editors. We then received multiple messages stating that the book did not meet, quote, community standards, which many of us have come to recognize as the standard phrase used to justify censorship in the time of COVID. We spoke with multiple people at the KDP who assured us that the reviewers would speak to us about why as that was a standard Amazon policy, that usually such problems could be worked out. A few days later, people at Amazon told us by phone that the reviewers would not speak with us and that the book did not meet community standards. They stated they did not know the reason that the book was banned and that they were very sorry. Multiple phone calls produced the same results. They refused to pass on our wish to speak with a supervisor. They refused to answer our questions. At no point did we lose our temper or raise our voice. They just refused all inquiries and stated that the reviewers did not wish to speak with us. We could not find nothing in the community standard statements that applied to anything we had written. And here's the key point. And at the moment, we knew that something very dark was happening, something we had never seen before. Little did we realize that this was just a very early example of what was to become a large movement over the next two years, a global movement involving collusion between government, corporatized legacy media, social media, big technology, big finance, and non-governmental organizations to completely control and shape all information and thought concerning the public health response to the novel coronavirus. Censorship was full swing by then. Now, there's so many great stories in this book from what has happened and the lies that made up that were made up to destroy great health professionals 
who are actually trying to help folks during the COVID pandemic. Uh, there's guys like Paul Merrick, who we learned about in the previous book, The War on Ivermectin by Dr. Pierre Corey. And, um, well, actually, Dr. Dr. Merrick's story is absolutely worth reading in this book. This guy had over 500 peer-reviewed publications. He has an H index of 105, which is a productivity and citation impact of the publication's rating, which that 105 index or rating is extremely high. He has over 48,000 citations of his work. And until recently, he was the professor of medicine and the dean's endowed chair of the chief of pulmonary and critical care medicine at East Virginia Medical School. Now, Dr. Merrick, he pioneered the use of vitamin C to treat sepsis. And when used early and at appropriate doses can be a lifesaver. But here's the kicker. These treatments are low cost and don't bring in massive dollars. They are off-patent medical treatments. So the Krep Medical Establishment shuns them, and when COVID-19 hit, that's when the long knives came out. That's the lie that the government continues to tell you. Only vaccines work, not therapies, or not medical therapies, and certainly not low-cost therapies. Now, there's another story told in this book, from Ed Dowd. Now, he has the money angle on these lies from the government. Now, Ed used to work on Wall Street with some of the big firms like, like HSBC Incorporated and BlackRock, where he had learned about the fraud of the global central bank dominance. Now, this went all the way back to the bank bailouts in 2008 and 2009. And that's a fascinating read, by the way, because I was watching all of that happen and following it closely in the Wall Street Journal at the time. Now, let's just grab two small pull quotes to highlight this part from Ed Dowd, but I encourage you to get the book because these compilations of stories are very powerful to provide you a look from a variety of angles about everything that happened during COVID-19. Knowing that all cycles end and that the growth in the global debt was unsustainable, many of us in the financial community wondered what the end of this cycle would look like. How would it manifest itself? We pondered. Would it manifest itself in political instability or currency wars or sovereign debt defaults? Now, a real quick interruption here. He's talking about, in this paragraph, he's talking about all the easy money that was put into the system in 2008 and 2009 during the Great Recession. Now, let's pick up the book here. In 2019, we saw signs of global growth slowing and a repossession crisis when overnight lending rates spiked in the fall. Corporate credit spreads began to wobble a bit. It looked like we were nearing the end of this cycle. Then the COVID-19 crisis hit. And the central banks had an excuse to print the largest amount of money in the history of the Federal Reserve, with 65% increase in the money supply from 2019 to 2020. As a seasoned investment fund manager, my suspicions were triggered by this surge in the money supply. My suspicions were confirmed when I saw the St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard 
being interviewed about how to reopen the economy on the April 5th, 2020 edition of Face the Nation. And later on, Mr. Dowd makes this final point. The corporate media and large tech companies are also complicit due to their censorship of critical vaccine information and, in my opinion, are accessories to wrongful death. Once we open up the Overton window, the range of allowable public, political, and scientific discourse on on this topic, and the majority of the population learns what has happened, we will see a tremendous loss of trust in our institutions. At a bare minimum, the NIH, the CDC, the FDA, and the Health and Human Services structures need to be raised and built up again anew. In addition, the politicians, the doctors, the university administrators, and the media tech complex that has pushed this vaccine program will have much to answer for in the coming years. They, too, will have lost the public's trust and will need to rethink their institutions and their governance. Yes, right on. Absolutely. There has to be a reckoning of all this corruption. The public's trust has absolutely been lost on so many fronts. It's just shameful and disgusting. Now let's transition to Dr. Merle Nash, who wrote a segment in this book. And she's in the sleepy part of the United States, in Maine of all places, not in the big cities, but in Maine. And she has a heartbreaking story about a small town doctor trying to help COVID patients in her practice. And the misinformation she had to fight against is unbelievable and overwhelming. Let's just pick one of her quotes. And again, I would highly recommend getting this book in physical form so you have it on your bookshelf to remind you of what the elite medical establishment did to so many people and the after effects that we will be living with unfortunately, for the rest of our lifetimes. Again, let's go to the book and hear from Dr. Nash in Maine. Finally, this is what my state, Maine, the Medical Licensing Board, claims about me. Quote, The board noted that ivermectin isn't Food and Drug Administration authorized or approved as a treatment for COVID-19 in the suspension order. The board said that her continuing to practice as a physician constitutes an immediate jeopardy to the health and physical safety of the public who might receive her medical services and that it is necessary to immediately suspend her ability to practice medicine in order to adequately respond to this risk. End of quote. Dr. Merle Nash goes on, I am 71 years old. My medical practice was set up as a service to provide care during the pandemic that was otherwise very hard to get, so everyone could get access to the COVID-19 drugs or the COVID drugs who wanted them. My fee was $60 per patient for all the COVID care they needed. I'm sure the board had calculated that given all the above, and I would not challenge the board's suspension and would simply surrender my license since it would probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight the board's actions in court. However, I was surprised to find out on the day my license was suspended, there was a massive national publicity about my case. 
The story was on the AP wire, covered from the San Francisco Chronicle to the Miami Herald, and for some reason, it was not behind the usual paywall. Newspapers The Hill, Newsweek, The Daily Beast, and many other publications all ran hit pieces about me. I gathered that my situation was bigger than just a main renegade medical board. I had been selected to serve as an example to physicians nationwide who might be prescribing early treatment for COVID. Once I had realized, once I realized I was to be made an example of to assist with a national fear campaign followed by a purge of doctors who think independently, I decided to fight back. Fortunately, the Children's Health Defense is helping with we helping me with my legal expenses, which is what allows me to mount a strong attack against the bulldozing of free speech, of patient autonomy, and of the doctor-patient relationship. There was a lot riding on this outcome, and we have only just begun to fight for medical freedom and the physician's right to practice medicine. It's just heartbreaking. She was on the front lines. She was doing God's work, helping patients get better during COVID. And they had her shut down. This whole medical establishment is corrupt from top to bottom. Corruption at its worst. Now, all these stories are just from part one of this book, the history and the physical examination portion of how we got here. Now, let me briefly cover some of the other topics to try and do this book justice. Because I think just a quick scan of the chapter titles will move you to get this book. If you feel like the government medical experts have lied to you for the past three years, and from all accounts, not only the polling, but just anecdotal information, if you just ask your friends and your work colleagues that ask them for people that are suffering from vaccine injuries, people that have suffered from non-medical interventions in their COVID virus, you can tell people know they have been lied to. If you feel that way, you should get this book. Here's the chapter titles and the section names. Section one is the medicine science philosophy and psychology. Now this is all from part two, part two, section one, rather chapter nine, science versus scientism. Chapter 10, repurposed drugs. Chapter 11, MRNA vaccines, the largest human experiment ever. We're going to come back to that because it was written by Dr. Malone himself. Preventable deaths in vitamin D3, scientific fraud at the centers of disease and control and prevention the CDC bioweapons. The future is here. Most journalists are scientifically unqualified. And the final chapter in this section, COVID-19 vaccines and informed consent by John Allison, JD. Now, in fact, let's stop here because I can see our time is ticking away and I want to honor you guys, the audience and respect your time. So let's, let's go to Dr. Malone's treatment of the MRNA vaccines which is very good. And did you know that he helped to invent the mRNA technology, the foundation that was part of the vaccines originally? This is one of the guys who helped create the thing. Let's go to the opening chapter of what Dr. Malone wrote in his book, 
lies my government told me. Chapter 11, mRNA Vaccines, the Largest Human Experiment Ever. More than 5.41 billion people worldwide have received a dose of some type of COVID-19 vaccine, equal to about 70.5% of the world's population. In the United States, as of October 17, 2022, 265.59 million U.S. residents have received at least one dose, and 226.59 million have completed the initial vaccine protocol out of a population of 335.49 million, roughly 67.5%. Of the 613.25 million mRNA vaccine doses administered, 375.64 million of these doses were manufactured by Pfizer Biotech and 237 by 237 million doses by Moderna. Between the U.S. and the EU, a total of nearly 1.5 billion, with a B, doses have been administered. This accomplishment involved a novel technology, a large-scale manufacturing process, and a product that was created past non-clinical and clinical development, manufactured, distributed, and globally deployed in less than three years. In terms of logistics alone, this is undeniably a major achievement. At a meeting of the Special Committee of the European Union Parliament held on October 11th, 2022, to discuss the findings regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and recommendations for the future, a Pfizer executive confirmed that their vaccine has never been tested for its ability to prevent the transmission of SARS-CoV-2 virus before being put on the market. Data emerging since the introduction of the vaccine indicate that it is in fact unable to do so, thereby negating the claim that COVID-19 passports are necessary to protect others. In other words, governments throughout the world employed a wide range of propaganda and censorship methods to promote these products as both safe and effective at stopping the spread of SARS-CoV-2 infection despite the fact that there was no studies that even tested how well they would prevent the spread of COVID-19. It is not an exaggeration to state that this massive deployment has been the largest clinical experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. Let me say it again. It is not an exaggeration to state that this massive deployment has been the largest clinical experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. Wow. Extremely powerful words from Dr. Malone. And here is another great question we need to ask ourselves collectively as a society. What if the largest experiment on human beings in history is a failure. What if the largest experiment on human beings in history is a failure? Let's go back to the book. In fact, Dr. Robert Malone asks that question next. 
What if the largest experiment on human beings in history is a failure? He writes, as Ed Dow described in chapter eight, life insurance companies have been reporting alarming increases in all cause mortality and disability in working age people. We may be experiencing both a huge human tragedy as well as a profound failure of the U.S. government to serve and protect its citizens. We may be forced to conclude that the genetic vaccines that were so aggressively promoted have failed. And the federal campaign to prevent early treatment with life-saving drugs has contributed to a massive, avoidable loss of life. In addition, the federal workplace vaccine mandates may have caused a massive loss of life in workers who were forced to accept a toxic vaccine at higher frequency than the general population. Furthermore, we we may also have been living through the most massive globally coordinated propaganda and censorship campaign in the history of the human race. All mass media and the social media technology companies have coordinated with governments and the vaccine manufacturers to stifle and suppress any discussion of the risks of the genetic vaccines and or alternative early treatments. There must be accountability. We are not just talking about the grinding the First Amendment into the mud. We're talking about an avoidable mass casualty event caused by a mandated experimental medical procedure for which all opportunities for the victims to inform themselves about the potential risk have been methodically erased from both the internet and public awareness by an international corrupt cobble operating under the flag of the trusted news initiative while systematically silencing physicians who raised vital concerns via a globally coordinated censorship and defamation campaign. Dr. Malone finishes by writing, George Orwell must be spinning in his grave. I hope I'm wrong. I fear I am right. I hope you're wrong too, Dr. Malone, but I fear you're right. As we record this in September of 2023, almost one year, roughly about 11 months since you published this book, all indications are that you are indeed right. So I do fear where we go from here. Now, these are just three pages from the chapter in the book where Dr. Malone specifically addresses the mRNA vaccines. And when the creator of the actual vaccines that are built on this technology that they're using, when he is telling you that they're improperly using them and they're lying to you about them, I recommend you listen to him. Again, I'd recommend you get this book real quick. The other title sections or the other sections um, is part three. I'm sorry, section two, uh, chapter 17 through 21. This is all about the public health. Uh, Chapter 17 is the tyranny. These are the titles of the chapters. Tyranny of the modelers. 
Chapter 18, the moral right to conscientious, philosophical, and personal belief. Exemption to vaccination by Barbara Lowe Fisher. Chapter 19, bioethics in the COVID crisis. Chapter 20, the illusion of evidence-based medicine. And chapter 21, ARPA-H, the intelligence community within the National Institute of Health. And then finally, Section 3 and Section 4. Section 3 is all about corporate media censorship, propaganda, and politics. That is the inverted totalitarianism, behavior control, and the end of the American dream, propaganda, corporatism, journalism, advertising, and the noble lie. Chapter 25 finishes that with the mendacious New York Times warning about censorship of all people. The New York Times talking about censorship. Pot, kettle, black. Finally, section four, follow the money, the economics. And there we see chapter 26, the lockdown harms and the silence of the economist by Miko Pakalin and Jay Bhattacharya. Little side note here, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya was part of the gang that Scott Atlas brought in to see President Trump in the summer of 2020 when President Trump had the ability to pivot and to work our way out of this mess, you can check out the Mojo Academy review for that in-depth book review on Scott Atlas's Plague Upon Our Nation. That's the title of it. It's worth the money for the Mojo Academy membership right there to get that review. We also covered it for free from this microphone. Again, the book is A Plague Upon Our Nation. And uh, you can get a very good book review there. So... Actually, before we pivot to the next topic, I just saw where Dr. Atlas and uh, Dr. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya, they have teamed up at Hillsdale to fight the corruption of science. And they've established an academy within the Hillsdale College campus. And it looks like they have some other folks joining them now. So the truth is getting out. And the good guys, the, the truth tellers, are working to find ways to correct the system. Now, there's a monumental amount of work ahead of those guys, so we have to pray for them, for protection and knowledge and wisdom to guide through this minefield of nefarious people. No pun intended from the movie Nefarious, which is all about demonic possession, because I think some of these people are demonically possessed. And most likely, the amount of work that we have to undo to get around these nefarious people will not be done in our generation, but we have to start. This whole system is rotten to the core. Um, so to finalize this book and the chapter titles to outline for you, just how broad and sweeping this book is chapter. The last the part three is the treatment plan, the synthesis, the synthesis and the conclusions. Chapter 29 is uh, what to do with a problem like health and human services. Then the next chapter is groupthink in the administrative state. Chapter 31, don't be brain dead. Think for yourself. We often talk about that here. 
Chapter 32, Defend Your Sovereignty. Chapter 33, Hypocrite.org. That's People Helping One Another by Mario Rango and Irina Buterline. Chapter 34 is The Victory Garden. And then chapter 35 is How Does It Feel to Be Vindicated? Dr. Malone writes this chapter. Very, very good. And chapter 36 is heartbreaking. It is an anonymous letter from a coerced mother. Uh, Very tough to read. Actually uh, shed tears reading that chapter. So there you go. With the time remaining, I want to cover two things. I want to pull some quotes from chapter 35. How does it feel to be vindicated by Dr. Malone? And if we have time, I will look at chapter 36. Because uh, that's just gut-wrenching. Uh, but real quick, let's go to chapter 35. How does it feel to be vindicated is the title. Let's go back to the book. So yes, excessive Psychic detachment that turns fellow human beings into self-referential objects of our own minds can be rather problematic. Indeed, I think, though I can't be sure, that psychologists even have a term for it. Psychopathy. Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, Anthony Fauci, Michelle Walensky, Paul Offit, Janet Woodcock, Robert Bright, Jessica Cecil, and her trusted news initiative. Don't forget those names. They should live in infamy. They all share a common personality profile. Now, lately, I have been getting the question, how does it feel to be vindicated? Dr. Jill Glass Pole Malone, his wife, keeps noodling me to write a piece describing my feelings on this topic. Personally, I dislike focusing on the psychology of how these last two years have impacted me and us. Much as I am very wary of the cult of personality aspect of my newfound fame, I have not spoken out because I sought attention. I have done this because it was the right thing to do. And I seem to have a unique window of opportunity to speak for those whose voices were so actively suppressed. But I certainly have had to take hits for it. The slander, the defamation, the gaslighting, the global coordinated character assassination have been nonstop. But as time has gone by and more and more has been revealed about the hidden hands that seek to manage what we are allowed to hear, see, and think... I have been transformed. The biomedical world that I thought I was living in has been revealed to be a sham. The legitimacy of the industry and the discipline that I have committed my entire professional life to is in shambles. I'm now embarrassed to call myself a vaccines and biodefense expert because the fundamental corruption inherent in those domains has been so clearly revealed. I cannot unsee what I have seen. I cannot recapture all of those years spent in profoundly corrupt academic system spent supporting a deeply compromised discipline that appears primarily driven by financial interest 
rather than by what I had naively believed was a commitment to save lives. I chose to not pursue the careers of my father and my father-in-law, which were spent building weapons of war, only to find that I had inadvertently played a significant role in enabling one of the most tragic medical follies in the history of mankind. When first asked, how does it feel to be vindicated? I did not know what to say. It feels a long, long way from vindication. Those directly responsible are unlikely to face any form of reckoning. And rather than remorse, they seem to find the whole thing amusing. The unnecessary lives lost, the the destruction of faith in the public health enterprise, vaccines in general, the entire medical-slash-hospital system, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the government in general, they have a feeling of this. Quote, Ha! Oh well. Not our fault. Just the way things are. Ha! Just the way things are. How disgusting these people are. You wrecked the lives of millions. More than millions, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of lives in our country. In fact, America, I would say, until this COVID-19 pandemic was still the leader in medicine for the whole world. And you can see it now. Throughout the pandemic, the other countries that look to the United States for our leadership, they started to look at the United States and, and they were like, nope, the U.S. has lost its collective mind in medicine. I can't believe that they're doing this or that policy. And many of those other countries said, we're going in a different direction. You can find many books on Amazon from the thought leaders all over the world telling that story. We have lost so many lives here. In addition, we have lost the complete credibility with our own citizenry. And we've given a very bad example to the rest of the world. A terrible, terrible example. Now, just one more quote from this chapter. It's going back to the book. Here is a little story about Santa Barbara, California. I left my job as a carpenter and attended Santa Barbara City College between 1980 and 1982, graduating with straight A's as president of the student council. This was made possible in part by financial assistance from the Santa Barbara Foundation. When invited to come speak at a stand-up SB event in Santa Barbara regarding COVID, I suggested it would be nice to do a fundraiser for the Santa Barbara Foundation as an opportunity to give back to the community and organization that had made my journey from a carpenter in a orchid or orchard farmhand to a physician and slash scientists possible. When they contacted me, the foundation decided that they did not want to receive any support from a quote, far right wing person such as myself at two brute. This is an example of the price that has had to be paid. And we would do it again in a heartbeat because it had been the right thing to do. And we found ourselves in a position where we had a chance to make a difference. We have made new friends all over the world. 
and I now have a very different worldview than I had three years ago. I have no regrets, but I take no pleasure in the thing. Have you ever been to Santa Barbara, California? If you have, you know it's literally the most beautiful place in the country. At least I think it is. I mean, it's just stunning. The fact that the people there have lost their minds is so, so sad. I mean, to do this to one of their very own people and Dr. Malone, the humanity in this country is going to hell. People have lost, lost all critical thinking skills. To live in the one of the most beautiful places in the country and to have lost your mind so deeply in the cult of what the government has told you and you cannot separate that from politics or because of politics is mind-blowing, just mind-blowing. It's complete and utter ignorance. At the end, though, did you catch that nugget of wisdom about the worldview which we just covered in our Catholic corner? Here it is again. We have made new friends all over the world. I now have a very different worldview than I had three years ago. That's powerful stuff, man. Just powerful stuff. You can't lie to people over and over. The government can't lie, period. Nada, full stop, cannot lie. There has to be a reckoning. Now, regarding this letter that brought me to tears, I've had second thoughts about it, about reading it. I would say if you want to read this letter, go buy the book and read it for yourself. Dr. Malone's book deserves to be on your bookshelf. This letter is an anonymous letter from a coerced mother, and it's just heartbreaking. Get the Kindle version or get the hardback version. Either way, buy the book. It deserves to be bought. Dr. Malone has put a lot of work into this. And finally, I know this has been one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. I think this rivals our episodes on Gettysburg and the opioid pandemic that is still ravaging our country. That was ravaging our country before COVID, and we still have never dealt with that. We covered that book, Dreamland, by Sam Quinones. Now back to this book, Lies My Government Told Me by Dr. Robert Malone. He's a hero among many heroes during the COVID wars. And I want to share something that I thought I would never share since I'm a conservative Republican slash independent. And this comes to us from the foreword of the book, and it's written by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a liberal Democrat, and I've disagreed with him on every public policy most likely probably 90, 95% of all public policies. And this whole COVID madness for the last years, last three years, isn't a red or blue thing. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's, it's everything. It's the whole point. It's way more than that. So just listen to our last pull quote from this very liberal Democrat, who actually still believes in telling the truth. Go on to the book. For decades, the military-industrial intelligence apparatus has routinely taken advantage 
of catastrophic crisis crises to increase their power and control. And this time Robert Malone was among the few who stood up in their path. For this he has earned their disdain and my enduring respect. Being a highly accomplished and internationally recognized physician scientist, a pioneer and expert in mRNA and DNA vaccines and therapies, and a researcher and developer of biodefense countermeasures for the U.S. Department of Defense contractors, Malone posed a special problem for those in power. He could not be easily dismissed or debated, so instead he was quickly deplatformed and canceled by corporate and social media at the behest of the government. He was then vilified, marginalized, and lied about. The dust is still settling, and Robert Malone is still standing. He is supported by other physicians, scientists, scholars, attorneys, activists, who contributed chapters that are woven throughout this book. Readers will be guided through the rabbit hole of falsehoods and misrepresentations that beguiled millions of Americans into accepting mandated vaccines and barely tested drugs without even the pretense of informed consent. Parents agreed to give mystery injections to their children and babies, yet can't explain the risks or supposed benefits. Malone envisions a different future, one in which our citizens understand enough to defend their freedoms, medical and otherwise by giving us all deeper insight into the global pandemic of government deceit and overreach, this meticulously researched book can be an important part of reaching that better future. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is very close to the truth in that writing. Yes, Dr. Robert Malone is still standing. Thank you, Dr. Malone for your courage. And again, folks, his book is Government, My Lies, or Gover- Lies My Government Told Me, rather. Lies My Government Told Me. Be sure to get this book. We're just scratching the surface of it. And folks, I hope you've enjoyed the trilogy, the COVID trilogy that we have reviewed this whole past week. I know they have been longer and more in-depth than our regular Mojo Minutes and our regular Liberty Minute. But many people have wanted a very deep dive into the COVID questions. And their questions range from what the hell happened to our country over the last three years to is the medical system just completely corrupt? And they often asked, are there any good books out there that can help explain what is going on? So when you ask for the books, I read them and review them. So again, I hope you enjoyed this trilogy. Uh, Be sure to go back and listen to parts one and two this past week. And now let's keep seeking and discovering the truth together. One good book at a time. And let's keep reading the good books out there. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge but short 
on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.